Greetings and welcome to Outlaw Gamer Radio, the official podcast of OutlawGamers.com. This is the show where we live to play and play to live. I'm Brent Adams, joined by a man who thinks dual play is a paid service that can only be rendered legally in international waters or the state of Nevada. Mr. Lauren Bobgarden, Lauren, <laughs> you are a, you are a disturbed man, is what you are. You are a disturbed, disturbed man. Indeed, indeed, I am. But that doesn't make me wrong. And uh, and what we're going to get to. I was going to try to make some sort of segue about how I wasn't wrong about Tom Clancy's The Division getting delayed to 2016. Why? Why, why does that have to be a segue or a joke? But I never ever made that prediction. Uh, because I had faith in this game, and it ended up being false hope. My faith misplaced, misplaced in this company and this game. And that brings us to the first story in the garage. Welcome, Lauren, to Outlaw Gamer Radio. Ah, well, thank you, Brent. It's nice to be here. You know, I, I let you have a nice garage, if I may say so. Uh, if you could actually see what my real garage looks like, you would, you would realize what a horrifying untruth you've just spoken. I'm just I'm glad that that's the direction you took it in and didn't choose to go in the euphemism direction. Yeah, well, it could have gone a lot worse, uh, which is basically which is basically what happened to my garage. My garage uh, went a lot worse. <laughs> we have some good stuff in the garage this week. However, what we're beginning with is not so good, and it comes as no real shock, I guess. Uh, and I guess. that is the delay of uh, Tom Clancy's division is being delayed uh, ostensibly into Q1 2016. Uh, yeah, well, what they're saying, although there's a little confusion about this, because they say that it's going to be fourth fiscal quarter, 2000 calendar quarter of 2016, Yeah, 2016, which I I guess does the is the like, are you do you say it's the fiscal year if it ends in the calendar year? So like, if your fiscal year runs April to let's let's stop talking about this part of the story. Let's get to the. (laughs) Let's get to the real business at hand. Which is that uh, not only is the game delayed, Brent, but I have to tell you, man, I I have worsening fears about this game big time, and it's starting to feel a lot like Watch Dogs. I think that's exactly what it feels like. Um, It feels a lot like when they announced this game, when they showed this game off, they basically had nothing. And, uh, And that they are... It seems like they kind of threw a dart, said, here's what the game's going to be, here's the feature set, and now they're scrambling to try and, you know, sort of build up to, you know, wherever wherever the dart landed. Uh, I don't... I'm, I'm not as angry about this as the... Okay, like Batman uh, Arkham Knight, as an example. When Batman Arkham Knight got delayed the first time, I was pissed. I was really righteously angry about it. Because it seemed reasonable to me that that it was going to come out when they originally said it was, which was fall last year, and so the delay really stung. This delay does not sting, and I suppose that that means on some level, subconsciously or otherwise, I never really expected to see it this year anyway. Something like that. I, I don't know, but I'm not angry about this. I, it, it felt more like a confirmation of fear. Yeah, it, it, I agree with you, Brent. It does feel like a confirmation, and I'm sure listeners are out there kind of going, what what, what, what kind of 180 did both of these guys do on this game? But it, it is not only a confirmation, but I, like I said, I have growing fear over the quality 
of the game in general. And so my well, excitement has significantly... It is an Ubisoft title. Yeah, and that's why, to be honest with you. I mean, after what they've done with Assassin's Creed, uh, which we're going to talk a little bit about later, uh, what they did with Watch Dogs, uh, what they did with uh, The Club... Yeah. Um, uh, or uh, I'm they not. Got, they got problems. They got yeah, problems. Yeah, I just I'm not I'm not convinced uh, that they know what they're doing when it comes to making open world games, honestly. And so I've become um, my excitement for this game is waning. And basically, they're going to have to convince me that they didn't fuck it up. Uh, yeah. Basically, when this game is ready to come out, and it will take some convincing, I gotta say. So, this is unfortunate news, but Brent, there's a lot of great stuff this year, and and I'm not, I'm honestly, surprisingly so, I'm not upset about it. No, I, I'm not, I'm not either, and maybe it is because there's just other really great stuff to look forward to. But um, in any case, we're just gonna have to keep our eye on this, and I suppose that maybe the one positive thing that we can say about it is that. Maybe Ubisoft is sort of waking up to the fact that they they have a problem that needs to be addressed. But we'll get to that after this story. Uh, Because this story is about a really cool convergence between things that I love coming together, even though it's based on a video game property that I'm not the hugest fan of. But uh, that is the analog edition of Crisis, which is, as you may have surmised, a board game. And there is a Kickstarter... Uh, running for this right now, they've they've built a prototype, but you know they need to go to manufacturing, and so they need. Uh, they're asking for ninety five thousand dollars, I believe. They're currently sitting, as we record this, at twenty eight thousand dollars to uh, to enter their manufacturing run for Crisis Analog Edition, which is a uh, a tactical board game for two to eight players, as you've probably surmised, also <laughs> based on the Crisis video game. Anyway, uh, I love video games. I love board games. And board games based on video games are are okay by me. Lauren, since you are a fan of Crisis, I'm kind of interested to know what you think about this. Yeah, honestly, I kind of feel like I want to see a little bit more gameplay uh, to kind of understand how it's going to play out. (laughs) You know, that's actually a good point, though, because and this is something that I was thinking watching their Kickstarter video, like their Kickstarter video shows you it kind of shows you like. Here's how you'll set up your cards, like as an example, like your weapon, you know, like whatever card you're using, you know, for your weapon, your assault rifle or whatever. It shows you kind of, you know, swiping through and, and picking one, but then it cuts to video game footage of a guy getting shot, and then you'll kind of see like two game pieces coming to close proximity to each other, like, uh oh, they're facing off, and then it goes to game footage. <laughs> and they they <laughs> kind know, of talk about like shot. giving you the first person shooter experience. In in the board game, and I, you know, so yeah. I, you, you I thought it's a lot, you think I was making, it's a lot more exciting to show the video game footage than it would be to show you know two chubby guys rolling dice and you know moving the little figurines around. But <laughs> you, but, but you I thought I was like making an actual joke game about played out. right? And I would too, man. I'm not kidding. You thought I was making a joke about uh, about the, the trailer not having enough game actual gameplay footage, but and I maybe, kind of agree. maybe being maybe being rendered pre rendered or yeah. something, but. Um, no, yeah. no, it's, I mean, it's, it's an interesting property to make an analog edition of, and I love the idea. Uh, I just would like to see a little more gameplay, but I know that this is going to be very interesting to a lot of people out there. Of all the possible properties you could make into a board game, I, I don't know that Crisis would be initially high on my list. Right. Um, but uh, I, I'm all for it, man, and I think it's an interesting endeavor, and I, you know, I encourage people to check it out and just see if it's something that interests them. I would have said the same thing about the Hitman series. I would never have imagined that Hitman would translate into a board game, but that's essentially 
what Hitman Go is. Hitman Go is, yeah. It's basically just a a board game. But uh you know, so you never know. I've got uh I've got Donkey Kong Jenga sitting upstairs right now as a Christmas present that I haven't got the opportunity to uh crack open yet and play with friends. But uh you just you just never know. You you never know what's going to really really work. I'm not saying the Donkey Kong Jenga is really going to work cuz how the hell would I know? But the point is the box really looks nice and it's it's turned into a great conversation piece if not an actual fun piece of board game entertainment. <laughs> right. Um moving on. So this is interesting Brent. So uh Ubisoft announced their next Assassin's Creed and and trust me that's not the interesting part. No. Um, <laughs> this uh, Assassin's Creed Syndicate That works on two levels. <laughs> the Assassin's Creed Syndicate the debut trailer came out this last week uh for their game that's coming out. I believe it's October. Um I don't know. Maybe they announced three Assassin's Creed and they're coming out like sequentially in October, December and February. I don't know. But um, this one takes place in, uh, is it mid 1800s London? Uh, And and actually, you know, it's a setting that is somewhat interesting um, if it weren't, you know, in the Assassin's Creed universe. But uh, and the reaction (laughs) we saw, Brent. The reaction we saw on it now, <laughs> dude, it's, it's it deserves it. Although I will say that the, the one the one thing I will give them in this case is that it is a single player only game again, and so they're they're right. uh, not doing a multiplayer ostensibly so they could focus on the single player. Uh, that's too ostensibly for those of you that are playing drinking games, um, so they could focus on the on the single player. But uh, the reaction was extremely lukewarm, if not cold, on the website. But what I thought was interesting, Brent, was this 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 video. It's okay. Um, if you don't like this Assassin's Creed, there'll be another one next year for you. Yeah, that's exactly right. What I thought I was, was interesting, Brent, was this. Watch Ubisoft own up to the mess that was Assassin's Creed Unity. Um, yeah. And Brent, I wanted to get your take. I know what my take is on this, but there was conversation mm. about this on the website, about whether or not uh, this feels sincere. And um, I'm curious to hear what you think about about sort of what you think about the sincerity of them owning up to their mistakes on unity. Do you think it's, it's, it's genuine or do you think it's a marketing ploy? Um, I think that it's a lot like politicians. Uh, I think that, I think that it's easy for people to pay lip service to something or to sort of perform an apology, but there's a difference between that and taking action to correct the problem, you know, and I mean, I can't speak for politicians everywhere, but certainly in the United States, politicians are really long on apologies and really short on on actions to make up for their you know for their shortcoming or their you know missteps or whatever. And that was that was kind of what was going on in my head. Is I was like, this is like listening to a politician apologize for you know cheating on their wife or something like that, right? Um, it's it's easy to although I want to say that I think that the people who are actually being interviewed, the developers in question. I have no doubt that they're sincere when they talk about things like, you know, reading reviews for Assassin's Creed Unity was like, you know, like like their kid getting called fat or something like that. And, you know, it kind of breaks Absolutely. your heart to after you know, to years have, of work. Yeah, to have something that you've you've worked on and and devoted so much of your yourself and your time to, uh, to have it be reviewed with all the ferocity that uh, the internet is capable of. I don't doubt that they're sincere in saying that that was unpleasant. Um, but there's a difference between them acknowledging that and them being allowed by the culture and structure of Ubisoft to not make that mistake again. And so that's the thing is that in a sense, 
I wonder if the ability for them to not repeat this mistake is, I wonder if it's even in their control. Uh, yeah, that's a good question, Brandon. It's a good point you bring up about the culture of Ubisoft. I, uh, you know, my take on this was was that, and I agree with you that 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 clearly, and, and it's totally understandable. And, and honestly, I think it's a great perspective for all of us to see about what it feels like to have your work critiqued, um, yeah. and, and especially when you put years into it uh, mm-hmm. to have it critiqued and, and what that feels like. I think that's interesting. I don't know that a marketing piece is the appropriate place to do it. And, and right. I, I feel like uh, I feel like while the uh, developers themselves that were portrayed within, uh, I, I believe were, were very sincere, something about the whole thing feels disingenuous to me when it occurs as a marketing piece alongside the announcement of their next game. Clearly, with the intent of fostering sales of their next property. Um, Even if you, Brent, were were to um, sort of uh, let go of what you pointed out, the difference between apology and action, even if you took that out of the equation, and and this had been an apology that was made several months ago, um, even just as an apology, I think it it feels more genuine. Being a separate thing from... Oh, and by the way, the next Assassin's Creed is coming out, which presumably the, the messaging here is, we know we fucked up, but we won't do it next time, pinky swear. Right, and, and it's, it's, I, there's, there's something about it being part of a marketing push like that. that yeah. and, and it's always, I mean, there's no question, had they done it six months ago, Brent, that it would still be PR, right? It's damage control, it's brand, saving the yeah. brand. But, right. the, but there's something that, feels, uh, that makes it feel even more disingenuous when it clearly, clearly is attached uh, to the launching of their next title, and so sure. how can how can one help but feel like you know it's just it's, it's nothing more than a marketing piece? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, mean, I mean, it's it's definitely not as sincere as rage quitting Twitter, which I hear is the thing to do now. But for some developers, uh, I think that I think that you're right. I, I think that there is certainly. I, I mean, it's just it's just a matter of being savvy. I mean, you know, we're we're not idiots. We understand that. Ubisoft is, you know, a corporation that, you know, wants to convince us to hand over our money in exchange for video game experiences that, you know, they're going to provide. And I I don't think that it's I don't think that even if it is just a marketing thing. Well, okay, let's take that off the table. It's just a marketing thing. That's it, okay? That's the only advantage to like the only advantage to doing this is to try and mend some sort of injury in the relationship between this company and its customers. So like, just take if out of the equation, this is a marketing thing, but that doesn't mean that it's that in and of itself does not mean that it's bad or insincere uh, or that we shouldn't take it into account uh, in moving forward, acknowledging that, that it, that it's marketing. But I think that the real the real question comes down to: Are they going to do more than just apologize for it in this video? Are they actually going to change things in how they do these video games to try to avoid some of this stuff moving forward? Are they going to keep us appraised of what changes they're making in order to continue to uh, you know rebuild confidence? in their company and, and in the Assassin's Creed uh, franchise. So those are the things that I'm really kind of curious about. I'm really curious to see if there's follow through with this, 
is there more marketing videos showing us, you know, whatever it is that they're going to do? And then ultimately, when Assassin's Creed uh, Syndicate comes out, are we going to find that it does not have the same bugs and and things that, that Unity would Right, as with. the previous game. Yeah, I don't know, Brent. I mean, I got to say, when it comes to the Assassin's Creed series, I kind of feel like, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me 17 times, shame <laughs> on me. That's kind of how well, I feel it, about those it, games. Admittedly, not everybody is as jaded about that series as you and I are. Um, That's because not everybody was dumb enough to keep buying the games, even though <laughs> we didn't really like them. You we, know, I, we kept, I kept... I kept buying the games for what I wanted it to be, and it never has been. That uh, is exactly my problem, too. Exactly. Yeah, and so I stopped buying them now. It, it, it does remind me, Brent, real quick. I want to I interject something here that I keep forgetting to mention. Okay. Uh, and that is, uh, uh, um, I bought, this is, this is com- not completely off topic, but I bought a Far Cry t-shirt from the Ubi Workshop. I got to be honest uh, with you, this feel- feels pretty far off topic. But keep going. It's not. It, well, it's Ubi. There was Ubi in there. Oh, thank you. Um, right town. I, I, it's a PSA for our listeners. I will tell you, I bought this T-shirt. It uh, the the iron. There was a cool like iron-on patch or whatever on the front of it. No. It's completely gone from the T-shirt within two months. I mean, just <laughs> completely came off. Yeah. And I have tried multiple times to contact Ubisoft. I have written a review, uh, which was not posted. Uh, no, really, a, neg- a, a negative review. And I wrote them oh, about the negative on. They review. Would do that. Also not posted. So I just wanted to share a PSA with people. If you're ever out there looking at the UB workshop and looking at the clothes there, I highly, highly recommend you do not buy them because they are of very poor quality. Uh, and so please learn from my mistake. Um, back on track, Brent. Let's move on and talk about something hopefully less depressing. We've got a, um, a second episode of the Arkham Insider from uh, Rocksteady developers of Batman Arkham Knight entitled Let's Play Dual Play, which details the dual play feature of Batman Arkham Knight, and uh, you, get to see that, uh, you get to see that shown off in gameplay, get some commentary over it, kind of explaining what's going on, how it's going to work with the traditional combat system vis-a-vis your combo meter and special attacks and things like that. Uh, the bottom line, I suppose, is that you are going to be able to work with a AI... Uh, compatriot, in this case Nightwing, but you know, it could be Robin or Catwoman, whatever, uh, Batgirl. And we see uh, Batman and Nightwing taking on a room full, I don't know, I mean, few dozen, few dozen bad guys. A lot. A lot of a lot, A lot more bad guys than we're used to seeing. And you see how it kind of allows you to seamlessly switch between Batman and Nightwing while maintaining your combo meter through uh, through both characters and and how you know you can use that to you know build up to these you know super duper takedowns that involve both Batman and Nightwing uh, taking out the same guy and that kind of stuff. I think that it's I think it's actually really really cool, and it's just one of those things that I'm I'm very interested to see how that feels within the story of of Arkham Knight. Uh, you know, because certainly it would it would sort of tend to it would tend to make me think that you're going to be interacting with those characters through some kind of story stuff. You know, like you're going to hook up with Catwoman and you're going to be with her through a leg of the game as you're trying to figure something out that, you know, maybe she's involved with or knows something about. And then you're going to switch over to Nightwing or something like that. Like, I'm hoping that it's not just a 
I'm hoping it's just not like like a Nightwing shows up and as soon as you show up, like okay, so I'm going to open this door and there's going to be a big fight. You have a big fight and then he's like, well, I'm off. Poosh, out the window he goes. I, I'm hoping that they really integrate this uh, along with those side characters in a meaningful way through the story because I I just want to see that in terms of the game experience. It, it kind of feel like you're working alongside those people. I think that'd be kind of fun. I agree. I, I I was very pleasantly surprised by this, Brent. I mean, we knew about it. We didn't know the details, um, mm-hmm. and it seemed to to work seamlessly. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, was, in terms I, of the mechanics, I, it looks spot on. It does. It absolutely looks spot on, and I love it. And that's very reassuring. I, and I. Uh, have loved the opportunities we've had in the previous games to play as other characters. So the opportunity to play as other characters, I think, is fantastic. I agree with you that I hope that it makes sense from a story standpoint. I would imagine it does. Um, I was... Well, yeah, I I mean, like Catwoman in Arkham City. Like, it totally makes sense, like, why you're playing Catwoman in that game. Right, absolutely, and I think I think it. Uh, I thought it looked. I thought it looked dope, Brent. I thought it got me. It just I, I, now my excitement is really growing uh, for Batman, and this uh, this only increased increased the excitement. I mean, to see I, I, what I what I really was intrigued by was just the massive amounts of enemies uh, that were in that room, and and um, I, I just I encourage people to go watch it. I'm getting super super excited for this game, Brent, and I'm I'm hoping I will be lost in it all summer long. Uh, I hope that your CPU is fixed in time for you to be lost in this game all summer long. Oh my god, don't talk about that. Too late. And we're back, heading into the clubhouse. Brent, I think you have a poll to share with us before we get into the topic this week. Always. Uh, last week we were talking about the preservation of games and... Some of the uh, you know, some of the issues uh, surrounding that phenomena, and we asked the question: What's your solution to preserve games? In last place, with ten percent of the vote, you said go back to selling physical media. Thirteen percent of you said change copyright law to force publishers' intellectual property into the public domain sooner. Third place, with eighteen percent of the vote, was the pirates have already solved this problem. That was me. Uh, second place with 21% of the vote was keep on selling them digitally. But the number one selection from the outlaw gamer audience with 39% was the industry needs to adopt some kind of standard to release end of life games. So that is what the majority of you said that you would like to see happen. Uh, and thank you very much for voting in that poll and for contributing your comments. We appreciate that very much. We're going to talk about we're going the opposite end. Uh, this front from from games that are end of life to games that are a mere twenty minutes away from being birthed into life. Uh, we're going to talk about The Witcher Three, which obviously is a highly anticipated release this week. But that's not to say that its uh, its release comes with no controversy, as Lauren will now elaborate. Indeed, Brent, there is uh, controversy surrounding the release of Witcher 3, a couple of different ones, actually. Mm. But uh, we're going to focus in on a topic that has been burning up NeoGAF a little bit and Reddit, and that is a conversation about whether or not CD Projekt Red uh, downgraded the graphics uh, for The Witcher 3 since what was being shown in 2013. And 
And it's the short an answer topic, is yes, they did. The short answer is yes. So there's an article we're going to link out to over on What If Gaming where they talk about, they detail the, the situation a little bit. They link out to some of the conversations I referred to. Um, and essentially, there's you'll find, if you search the net uh, at all, uh, some side-by-side images where you can see um, fairly clearly that, that some, some of the... Uh, some of the graphical aspects of the game may have been downgraded, like particle effects and uh, um, some of the dynamic lighting and so forth. Um, this is not the first time we've seen this, Brent. Certainly one of the more high-profile games uh, we've seen uh, do this was the Watch Dogs. Watch Dogs yeah. had some amazing, amazing footage. I'm leery now that this is going to happen with the Division as well. Um, the, one of the For big arguments out there, and this was talked about on Outlaw Gamers, one of the big arguments out there is why is CD Projekt Red getting a pass on this? And I know there's going to be a lot of opinions on this. At the time of this recording, Brent, as you said, it's 20 minutes till the release of this game. Um, we have uh, members of the Outlaw Gamer Society who are already playing The Witcher 3 and have kind of chimed in a little bit on this conversation and, and uh, alluded to the fact that, um, that uh, it's a, it's, you know, the game is so high quality that a slight change in the graphics isn't that big of a deal. And I think this is partially what some people on the internet are upset about is, is why is CD Projekt Red getting a pass on this when so clearly they have downgraded some of the graphics from what was originally shown in 2013. Now, if this article, Brent, is to be believed, um, this, this article um, alludes to a member of the development team who shall remain nameless, uh, in, in which he says essentially they had to pare down on what they were doing to be able to uh, get parity between the consoles and the PC uh, and, and performance on the consoles. And he refers to uh, one specific console, uh, but he doesn't say which one uh, has a lower lower specs and that they had to sort of design to to a point. So this in and of itself is an interesting uh, conversation. Is this uh, is it true? Did it happen? Is it is it happening industry wide? Is it a trend? Um, one of the things that I thought was the most interesting about the article, Brent, was at the end of the article, the author of the uh, What If Gaming uh, piece points out that in in their recent trailer they released, the Witcher Three trailer, Killing Monsters, at the very beginning of that trailer. They, they show a slide of the 50-plus awards they won at E3 2013. Mm. And I personally, Brent, think that is a line that, that they have crossed. It's one thing if you have to make changes to the game. Right. I, I understand the need to make changes to a game. Development is a process. It is not a static thing, and so it makes sense as you develop out the game. Uh, you make the world bigger, whatever. You make choices in gameplay. It might affect your ability to do some of the things you may have shown already. And that's fine. But to me, if you're going to use that, those awards that were won by a game that is different than it is now as your marketing, I think that crosses a line, Brent. Uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that it's, it, it's certainly it's shady behavior. Uh, although... There's also that part of me that says, yeah, but who really pays attention to that anyway? I mean, who who's buying The Witcher 3 because it won you know, some, you know, some award at E3 2013 as opposed to Well, they put that stuff on there for a reason. I mean, that's Well, you know, I, I mean, I I agree with you. Like, I mean, it, it does I, subconsciously that, sort of make you think, oh, this won 50 plus awards at It must at E3. be good. Yeah, I, I right. mean, it, it's it's possible that some people pay a lot more attention to that than I than I do. 
I, I just for my own for my own interest in the game, I, I I don't even I don't even pay attention to that. So anyway, but having having just acknowledged that, I agree with you that certainly it is disingenuous if they are sort of selling you the game on the basis of it having been vetted and won all these awards by these respected gaming outlets and and reviewers and so forth. And the game that they played and the game that you're playing are different. And I think that we, it speaks to an issue that we've seen a lot, which is over promising under delivering. It also speaks to how we review games and the fact that that is changing as we've covered on on this show. Uh, And thinking about things like, online games and how you know when reviewers play those games they're not playing where the servers are really being filled to capacity with with gamers and that changes the experience all of those all of those kinds of things i i think are are present you know in the uh, the, the sort of the texture of this discussion but i no guess pun intended that, but I think that the uh, <laughs> I think that man I tell you that's like that's like two weeks in a row something something's wrong I got to go to the doctor okay. I got I got to put I can't finish the show I got to go get myself checked out that's, that's did too you, many, ca- you too caught much you play. caught something didn't you yeah obviously I have anyway um so for me the the whole downgrade thing on The Witcher okay fine I I guess that I feel. It's a pretty it's a pretty practical thing, you know. It's just a matter of what is a company the size of CD Projekt Red? What what resources do they have to deliver this game onto three platforms? And I can't really fault them, which, you know, according to this anonymous source, if if you want to believe that this anonymous source is in fact a developer who worked on the game and knows what the hell they're talking about, the the reason presented is that the company just did not have the resources to do it any other way. They did not have a way to deliver this game on these three platforms and optimize it to its fullest on each of them, which is what we would all love to see in a perfect world. But things being what they are, I think that they did the best job that they can. And I I think that the reason that CD Projekt Red is getting a pass to just sort of address that is that I think that traditionally they've done right by gamers. Certainly, uh, you know, GOG.com has a lot of, uh, th- that's, that's endeared CD Projekt Red to a lot of people in their no DRM approach to, to selling games and that kind of thing. So I think that there's enough kind of goodwill that has been built up over the years that people are willing to maybe give them the benefit of the doubt in this instance, as opposed to a company like Ubisoft, what we were talking about, where maybe people feel that they have been burned more than a few times now and, and are feeling a bit jaded. We don't have that. I don't think that we have that yet with CD Projekt Red. So do they, I mean, do do they get a pass? So one of the other, and this isn't necessarily what the focus of this discussion is, but one of the other issues that people had with, with, uh, with the Witcher wild hunt is uh, the season pass Mm -hmm. uh, already being announced and released. And, you know, so it's, and I don't begrudge them that of course, but it does certainly bring the feeling uh, of of some of what you have seen from 
what we perceive as the big, bad, larger companies right now. Right. The 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 they are releasing an SDK for for mods. They are, uh, well, of course, you alluded to God. I'm glad they you are, brought that yes. up. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. We'll talk. About, I'll talk about that in a second. So they're releasing an SDK for mods. You talked about God and the Gog. God, you talked about God. I didn't um, talk about God. You talked about you talked about Gog and the um, uh, and the DRM free uh, ownership there, and uh, you know. Also, they're putting out a not insignificant amount of DLC for the game for free as well, mm-hmm. uh, moving forward. And so, uh, certainly, it does have a different feel to it. Um, but again, Brent, so so part of again, I have to go back to, uh, you know. So first of all, I, you know, just to be clear, I couldn't be more excited to play this game. Obviously, I was going to say, uh, like, we actually, bear in mind that none of this changes the fact that in ten minutes I will be leaving this show to go play this game. Um, God, we'll talk about that in a minute. Unfortunately, I will not be. But I am, I am dying to play the game. Obviously, and uh, I, I am, I am super, super excited about it. Uh, I couldn't be more excited. But um, I too would be inclined to give CD Projekt Red a pass for this. I mean, again, I yeah. understand that that. Uh, production changes. I mean, he talks very clearly in the article. He says, when we were putting this together, the new systems weren't even out yet. And when we found out what they were, and we recognized that they didn't have the computing power that we needed them to have, we had some decisions to make. And that makes sense to me. That's logical, and I understand that. But it does seem a little odd, then, to use the awards you won before you made those decisions as a marketing tool. That, to me, uh, feels inappropriate. Well, I guess that I'll play devil's advocate with you, and I'll say those awards were based on the game mechanics, the the storytelling, the the the, the open world uh, mechanics that we have introduced in this uh, this third version of the game, and that we don't feel. And and some of them have even told us the fact that uh, this game doesn't have the the same graphic fidelity, tessellation particles, etc., that was on those builds doesn't change what those reviewers thought was good about what they had played. Well, you know, so would that, you, I mean, uh, that's, 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 that, I, don't that's how you can, I don't know. That's, that's how you can say, I mean, it's like, you know, if you, at what point do those things actually change sort of the fundamental experience of playing the game? You know, does the draw distance, I, that's, you know, that's change an, that's an, uh, yes, the story it does. experience? It absolutely does. Well, you know? but that's not you're not you're not giving awards or reviews of the story experience. They're not the story experience reviews. They're the complete package. And all of those things are part of that package. So I mean you could make the same argument by saying so if they took out a couple of the game mechanics, is that just not a big deal? I mean if they I- took out if they removed entire a, a character, is that is that a big deal? I mean, the, the graphics are related to, to immersion. And yes, draw distance does matter. When, you, when you're playing a game that has significant pop-in, you bet your ass it matters. I think and that, so, it, I think that it, that's very subjective. Well, you certainly know? it is. Certainly it is. But to, say, to dismiss it is also subjective. I mean, I think they are all sort of intangibly linked parts of a whole. And so mm-hmm. to say that that reviewer or those reviewers or the 50 six places that gave them awards didn't it wasn't really the graphics that did it for them it was the story i think is um i think that's presumptuous 
Yeah, c- certainly true. I mean, I think that, but I, I think I think that's the rationale that that would that would go into to doing it. You know, especially if they're especially if they're using, let's just say as an example, I don't know that they won this, but let's just say that they won, you know, best graphics at E three two thousand and thirteen award. If they're using that in their marketing, yeah, that's. That that's cheeky, you know, bordering on sociopathic. Um, well, the awards all say things. They don't do it. They all say like official selection, game of the show, mm-hmm, best of yeah. E three. Those are the kind. You know, I mean, those are the yeah. So I I get what you're saying. I I have to say that you know for myself, graphic fidelity. It's not it's not the most important thing in the world to me. I I want it to look good, and I certainly. I certainly don't want to play the game and, and be taken out of the experience by graphic problems, but it's not it's not the only thing that's on my mind as I'm playing. So I don't feel as strongly about it as perhaps some would. Now, something I want to come back to that you mentioned, the first thing that I thought of as, as we were reading this, uh, this story in prep for the show is I was thinking, I wonder how much of this might be fixed through mods. How much of this could the community come up behind them and, uh, and take care of? And I suspect that I suspect that, that we're going to see quite a few of these things addressed in the PC version, uh, through the mod community. You know, if, since they've released the SDK and they've opened that door for everybody to walk through, I, I suspect people are going to, are going to walk through it. And, you know, whether that's, um, uh, you know whether you want to get into kind of the principled argument about that, which you know again I, I, that doesn't really that doesn't really matter whether to me or not is, it should fall upon the community to to fix yeah it, you, like, mean? you know shouldn't the developer do that isn't that their job and the community shouldn't have to come behind it because I mean in the end it's just you know it's ultimately just people exercising free will like you know nobody's holding a gun to any person's head and saying you know create a mod that make this game look better if they feel if they feel so uh, so driven to do that. And then they are in turn willing to share that with everybody, uh, so that we all benefit from it. You know that, that's great, and and certainly I will be very enthusiastic if that happens. But uh, I I guess that I guess that uh, maybe part of the reason that I am not quite as upset about this is that selfishly I believe that my version of the game on PC will probably uh, eventually get to the point where it looks as good as. That uh, that 2013 version of The Witcher did, on account of the fact that there's going to be a very enthusiastic mod community, most likely supporting the game. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it's true. It's it, that I, I also on, have the PC version. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sorry. I just I just want to clarify that because I don't think I really I don't think I really articulated exactly what I meant to say, which is if you're playing on a console, I think that you pretty much expect that the game is pushing your console about as far as it can. And whereas and on the PC, you, see on the PC you like have, that? Yeah, you just have an expectation on the PC that you're going to be able to push things, you know, they're going to give you enough options that you can push things even farther, whereas uh, obviously that's not really going to be the case here, at least initially. Right, and, and I, think, I do think when you're looking at a console version, especially from a company like CD Projekt Red, uh, who is... Who is primarily been a pc developer yes uh, historically uh i think that you do have ex- you, you sort of, you should expect that what you see is representative of you know a, a, 
a, a PC representative of it running on a PC with you know dual tight nexes or whatever. Like the the, the high high end, they're yeah. going to show off the best they can. And so I think I think as a console owner, you, you expect that it won't look quite that good, which is unfortunate. Uh, but I think it's a reality. But when you're on the PC, I think you expect to have the ability to to do that. And um, it seems that right now you won't. Although I do agree with you, Brent, that I, I wouldn't be surprised if just like with Skyrim, uh, you see a, a very strong modding community that is, um, you know, that's that's bringing this up to what it looked like before and very likely even beyond. I tend to agree. One question I just want to ask as we close out here. In light of what we were just saying, do you think that is this a PC issue? Is this only a problem for for PC gamers? Do, do, do console gamers care as much about this topic as as the PC gang? Uh, you know, it's a good question to pose to our listeners. I think that I think that console gamers aren't are participating in this conversation, but my my inclination would be that it's PC gamers that are driving it. But uh, but I think it's a good question to to pose to our listeners and, and see what they think about whether or not this matters to them. And I'd be curious when you guys post about this, let yeah. us know whether or not you're you're playing it on the console, you're playing it on your PC, uh, and what your thoughts are on this issue. Okay, guys, uh, we are going to hit the road and uh, and talk a little bit about. Some of the uh, the games that we're playing, we're not playing. If you're Lauren Baumgarten, because uh, Lauren is suffering from some woeful, some woeful turn of fate with his uh, his PC. Lauren, you want to? It's, uh, it's a true story. Listen, and it's, I, I just it's also to- want to say real quick. It's seven o'clock now, and my copy of The Witcher is unlocked, and I could be playing that right now. But I am staying. I am staying to finish this show and listen to you whine about your ganked PC build. Because Did you download the patch already, by the way? Yes, I've already installed it. It's all good. Um, <laughs> uh, I just want you to know that I'm here for you. Not, not for me, know. Brent, for the listeners. You're here for the listeners. Um, yeah, Brent, so, so uh, it's going to be hard to talk about my games this week with the tears that might be streaming down my eyes as I speak. Uh, I played one game this week. I played Wolfenstein the Old Blood. Uh, I am up through, I'm at about 12 hours now, and I'm up through the beginning of Chapter 8. I believe it has eight chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, I can say with confidence that if you are interested in these games, so far, while, it's, while The Old Blood has been good, Brent, it has not been uh, to the quality of the original Wolfenstein, The New Order. So I would recommend to folks that if you're interested in playing these games, I would actually recommend you wait until The New Order goes on sale. Uh, and, and try and pick that up for for twenty bucks or so because uh, while the old blood is good, it doesn't have some of the humor that I think the initial game had, and some of the sort of self referential um, lines that that I really enjoyed in the first one. And so uh, I'm enjoying it, but not quite as good. It's still definitely worth the twenty bucks in my opinion. But um, mm. I did not finish the game, Brent, because I discovered over the weekend. Much to my very, very, very deep sadness currently, uh, that something's going on with my CPU and my heatsink, and my uh, CPU is not cooling appropriately. It is living at about 70 degrees, and as we're recording, is in the mid to high 80s, even with under a 20% load. So my heatsink is not doing the trick, Brent. I have tried everything to repair it in preparation. You and I actually agreed to record early this week so we could be ready to play when The Witcher 3 came out. 
at 7 o'clock. And now I'm not going to be able to play it, Brent, because there's no way that I will not burn up my chip uh, in attempting to play it. So I've got a... I've got a, a heat sink on the way, an aftermarket heat sink with a 120-millimeter fan in the mail, but it will not arrive until tomorrow. Jeez. So I cannot play The Witcher 3 in five minutes when you and I are done. Listen, I just want to caution you right now that you may, th- you may be considering shortcuts. Taking shortcuts to try to ease the wait time between now and when this game comes out. I would like to refer you to a show called South Park in which one Eric Cartman tries to do the same thing to disastrous results. Uh, I did look up, I did look up some remedies besides the thermal paste that I purchased. Uh, and I, I am going to, when we get off this recording, I'm going to try using mayonnaise as thermal paste and see yeah, how that does. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little hint right now as to how that's going to do. Not but well. maybe I think maybe a layer of American processed cheese food. Now, that might work. American cheese could work. Uh, uh, yeah, you no, might, you I, might uh, also try yogurt. Uh, or, or no, no, not yogurt, <laughs> not yogurt. Uh, margarine. Is it margarine? Like country crocker, whatever that is. Because like, I think molecularly, that's like, it's like one molecule different, and that's plastic instead of, instead of a food product. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, no, unfor- I will not be doing that, Brent. But sadly, I will also not be playing The Witcher tonight. But you can bet your ass when I get home tomorrow and mm-hmm. I'm able to install. Oh, I see people are popping up now yeah, on, on Steam. my Steam. <laughs> playing the Witcher Playing thing. the game. As, as, if, as if they're listening to us record, Mocking Brent. you. Mocking you is what they're doing. That's exactly right. As if they're <laughs> listening to me record. So, yes, that's my situation. But next week, you and I will be having, I'm sure... Uh, an in-depth conversation about the Witcher Wild Hunt. Just look on the bright side. Even if you even if you don't get this problem wrapped up for a few days, and then start playing the game, by the time next week uh, rolls around, the chances are very very good you will have still played more of this uh, than I will. Very very good because my wife is still in Brazil. I have no dog, and I have all weekend to do nothing but play the Witcher. There you go. Um, for my own part, what I've been playing this week. Mostly is Project Cars. Yes, I'm excited to hear about this. I received a gift copy of Project Cars uh, from a listener and a buddy of mine, somebody I've played uh, online games with in the past. I did not specifically ask him if I could mention him by name on the show, so I will just hold off until I have his have his permission because I know sometimes you know people have sent gift copies and stuff and said, hey, you know, like I'd prefer. Did not be mentioned or, you know, whatever. And that's totally fine. I want to respect that. So since I don't know, I won't say. But anyway, it was, it was you, uh, which is and it's weird how, you know, it came with like that little gif of uh, of roses and uh, and velveteen <laughs> teddy that, bear. It was kind of Did strange. that make you uncomfortable? A little bit. Uh, not nearly as comfortable as the uh, the picture of you posing with the heart-shaped pillow over your... Never mind. Uh, Project Cars, getting back to it is a very, very interesting... It's a very interesting kind of juxtaposition. In, in the sense that I think that you've got, you've got people like me uh, who, who dig console racers. Traditionally, Gran Turismo is my, uh, is my cup of tea. You've got people like me coming from the console side who are really all about... Uh, racing simulation and a racing game as opposed to a car game. I, I remember having a conversation 
with somebody on I can't remember PSN, Steam, something. But it, it was it, it's been years ago now. They were asking me uh, what I thought of something or other, and they were saying, "Well, you know, do you think it's like a good? Is it a good uh, car game?" And I said, "Well, I think it's a good racing game. I, you know, if like you're if you're into a car game, maybe Forza is more what you're looking for. That kind of thing." So, as somebody who comes from that background. Project Cars is really interesting because Project Cars is certainly a racing simulator. It's certainly uh, playing in those waters. I think, based on what I've played right now, and I could change my mind about this because I've, I've only played an hour or, uh, or so, maybe a little bit more than an hour. So my opinion of this could change as I get deeper into the game, but based on what I've experienced right now, I think that Project Cars could eventually become my favorite racing game ever. Because of the fact that wow. it has a very, it has a, a very uh, intuitive and familiar kind of feeling coming in from like a console uh, racer, but it also has a lot of the tweakability that you would expect coming from the PC side. Now, I don't know that the physics in this game are as are as complex and exacting as something like R-Factor, which, I mean, you know, there, there could be something even better out there, but, you know, to my mind, R-Factor on the PC is probably one of the most hyper-realistic racing sims that, that, that's out there. Um, I don't know that Project Cars is really playing in those waters. I feel like right now it's maybe a little bit beyond, like, the Gran Turismo Forza cadre of uh, of console of console racers i think it's a little bit beyond that in terms of its realism or at least you can sort of tweak it to be so like the, there's a lot of things that you can tweak in terms of driving assist and physics and that kind of stuff but i feel it's a little bit beyond that but not quite in that league of of hyper realistic racing sim so it's it's kind of a good sweet spot if you want something a little bit more but you're not quite ready to... Because, I mean, really, if you're going to play like R-Factor, like, that's the kind of game that you're going to play when you've invested a couple thousand dollars in like a race, like hardware racing simulator, wheels, pedal, three screens, seat, that kind of stuff. And you don't need that kind of stuff to enjoy Project Cars. However, it is the kind of game that will almost certainly make you want to invest in, in a racing wheel because... As many of the reviews have pointed out, playing with a controller is unforgiving. It is a game that requires precision, and my Xbox 360 controller, and with my fat little fingers, I am really struggling to reach the level of precision needed to be consistently good in this game. It, it's really, really challenging me. And I don't mind that. I, I, I enjoy being challenged, but at some point, I do begin to kind of... I do begin to kind of wonder, like, gee, how much am I going to keep beating myself up over this before I uh, before I start to think, you know, a racing wheel would make this a lot easier than this controller. So anyway, we'll see how I do uh, over the course of the coming week. But my initial impressions of the game are extremely positive. I haven't done much other than quick races, so I haven't started a career mode yet. I'm curious to try that out and certainly curious to uh, to look at some of the more online stuff. But uh, I'll have to wait and uh, give you that at a later time. So Brent, I'm curious, do you think this game, like, is it, do you think it's something I would enjoy? Do you think there's, is there enough, um, 
I'm not even sure how to, how to describe it, enough assists or enough whatever. For somebody who's not into the super finite detail uh, that likes a more arcadey in general feel to it, is there, is there enough there for that person as well, or do you think it's really geared at, at those that, that are more interested in a sim-like experience? Uh, I think that it definitely leans more sim-like. Uh, I've not tried the amateur mode yet, but I would presume that... Because when you start the game, you basically there's like sort of three three options: amateur, intermediate, and pro. And my friend uh, Eric, who's playing the game, he he was he messaged me and basically said, "Hey, listen, there's some stuff going on with like physics and whatnot that if you know you need to like get into pro, just start your game in pro so that you have options, you know, you have access to those things." So it's possible that. That uh, at the at the lower level, like the amateur level, it is a bit more forgiving and and perhaps would appeal more uh, to somebody like you. But um, based on what I've experienced so far, I think that it, it is definitely leaning more to the sim side, leaning more towards the uh, leaning more towards being a racing game as opposed to being a driving game, uh, which is how you know I kind of distinguish between things like you know like Need for Speed and stuff like that and 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 Gran Turismo. Or like the early Forza games as opposed to the later Forza games, which were more racing focused. Gotcha. That's, that's awesome, man. I'm glad you. I'm glad you played it, and I'm glad to hear that you're enjoying it. And it could, oh, I can't yeah. believe it. Ooh. You've said that it might become your favorite racing game of all time. The only thing that like the only thing it's lacking right now is scope. Like that's that's the only thing. Like coming off of a Gran Turismo or a Forza, you, you like every track that. You know, like every track that uh, that you know they raced in. You know the 2014 uh f1 series you know you like you're probably going to be able to find those tracks in those games you know so you can go in and race those tracks any car that you know that you could probably hope to own yourself uh or or would want to own yourself you can probably find in those games that's what that's the only thing that's missing from this game it's just it's limited in scope Uh, it just doesn't have as many tracks doesn't have as many cars but what is there is excellent that's awesome man all right should we uh hit the throttle and ride off into the sunset brent Go ahead. What do you got? Uh, what do you got this week? In the end of the sunset section, Brent, mm. I have uh, a little trailer, and I can't remember who posted this on uh, on the old Outlaw Gamer Society, but it's a trailer for a game called. The full title is Evil Land Two: A Slight Case of Space Time Continuum Disorder, mm. uh, which I just think is a, is a fantastic title, and it's from a company called Shiro Games, the, um, and it is uh, it's being designed for PC, uh, Mac, and Linux. And uh, what I thought was really interesting about this game, Brent, and I think people should just go check out the trailer, is the way that it progresses through time, uh, through through the time, through the video games, through the history of video games, basically. Oh, that's fascinating. With, w- within, the, within the game itself. So you start off and you have, you're playing like this 8-bit stuff, and it, and it harkens back to very specific games. So you're playing some 8-bit stuff that looks a lot like Zelda, for example, uh, and then you end up you know, progressing through time and you're playing in a, in a more... Th- in a more uh, kind of uh, beautifully rendered. Um, it must be I don't even know thirty-two bit or whatever. Like um, yeah, um, the fighting fighting games like Street, not Street Fighter, but yeah, like Street Fighter and that sort of thing. And it kind of progresses through time. It, it alludes to um, how what was the I can't remember the name of the really uh, popular game where you were the airplane that was just flying up uh, all the time. Uh, there's several. There's been several games, but there's one in particular I'm trying to think of. Uh, but it kind of progresses through uh, the history of video games as you're playing it. And I thought, well, this is a brilliant idea. And I don't know, Brent, have you ever... I, I'm sure there's another game out there that has done this, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. And I think that there's 
a lot of room to play uh, play around with that, and I, it would just be fascinating uh, to progress through um, video game history and playing a game, especially games that I remember, like Karate Champ, Punch Out, Donkey Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, yeah, there, there's there's a lot Gauntlet, here that you know, looks familiar like, to Tron. me. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a super interesting game. I encourage people to check out uh, check out the trailer and see what you think. Game's coming out for I think it's nineteen ninety nine uh, when it comes out. It's seventeen ninety nine if you pre order it. I just thought it was a really interesting concept. It, this looks fascinating. I, I mean, this looks so spot on fun. I and this is this has been announced for PC, Mac, and Linux. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you bringing that to my attention. This is the first I've seen it, but man, oh man, oh man, that looks fantastic. Indeed. All cool. Right. What do you have, Brent, on your uh, end of the sunset? Not a video game, but uh, but a, a little bit of related fun that uh, I just can't keep to myself anymore. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you know uh, I was going back and forth a little bit with Tony last night. Uh, and that is because Tony has turned a corner in his life. Uh, you see, as I posited on Twitter, your life can be divided into two eras. The era before and the era after you have seen Danger 5. And Tony Grice, I am happy to say, has now turned that corner. And we now live in the world where Tony Grice has experienced the mega, awesome, epic totality of of when that is danger five uh for those of you who have no fucking clue what i'm talking about danger five is on netflix it is a uh it is a show born from the land down under and i imagine that if you live in australia you probably have a much better idea of uh of having already been in on this danger five uh is okay I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give you the setup the same way it was given to me. Danger 5 is done in the style of a 1960s spy adventure TV show or movie in the vein of things like The Avengers, uh, The Man from Uncle, Our Man Flint, things like that. Kooky, weirdo, 60s spy stuff. So the particulars of the show are about a team of international spies called Danger 5, because there's one, two, three, four, five of them. It's set in the 1960s, and their mission, every, every episode, is to stop the Nazis and kill Hitler. Now, if you're the kind of person that says, that doesn't make any sense because the Nazis and Hitler weren't around in the 1960s, and that's stupid, stop listening now. There's nothing here for you. If you're the kind of person that says... There were no Nazis or Hitler in the 1960s, and that's hysterical. Then you need to watch this show because that sort of sensibility is what's is what's here, and it's it's fucking brilliant. It's ridiculously funny. The call How have I never heard of this. It's it's relatively recent. Uh, it's not been it's not been around that 2012. long. 2012. There's two seasons. It's 2012. Uh, well, I, I, I just guess, can't. Yeah, believe I guess I should I, stipulate it's not been around that long here in the states. Oh, maybe that's why. I've ne- I had never heard of this, man. And I, I, as you're talking, I looked it up on Netflix, and this looks freaking awesome. Jesus Christ, watch it. Jesus Christ, watch this show. Uh, the first season is, uh, is amazing. The second season, and in addition, that's the thing, in addition to 
being really, really smart and funny. The second season is really, really ballsy because they completely change the formula. In season two, it leaps ahead 18 Wait, years. Don't, into, don't ruin it. Don't ruin it. Well, don't I mean, ruin it. I want to watch it now. All right. Well, I'm just going to warn you. Season two. I want two, it to be a surprise. I, 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 okay. That's fine. That's fine. But I'm just going to warn you. It's really going to fucking be a surprise. I mean, it's really going to be a fucking surprise. When you get to season, I want it to be. I, I, dude, I'm gonna since I can't play the damn Witcher tonight. I'll watch this instead. uh, I, I think I'm gonna fire up Danger Five, dude. I think I. You will not regret it. It it looks brilliant, and the reviews on Netflix. I think the first review on Netflix says, "I cannot explain to mere mortals how ridiculously awesome this show is." I mean, that's it. That that's it. Like once you once you've experienced the sit down gun, like when you get to the sit down gun, like that's, and I'm telling you, when you get to that scene you will be struggling to control your lower bowel movements. All right, um, all right, dude. I don't want to hear anyway. anymore. We're going to talk about this next week because I'm going to watch it this week. That is awesome. So anyway, if you've not watched Danger 5 and you have access to Netflix, please do yourself in the world a favor. Watch Danger 5. That is my Into the Sunset this week. Consider it done. All right, guys. With that, we're going to wrap up our show and call it a week. Brent's going to head off to play The Witcher 3, and I'm going to go sob in the corner. Uh, <laughs> as usual, we want to hear what you guys think about everything we talked about tonight, whether it's Danger 5 or Evil Land 2, Project Cars, Wolfenstein, The Old Blood, whether or not you think CD Project Red is getting a pass for the downgrade from what they showed in 2013 of The Witcher 3. Of course, up in the garage, we talked about the new Batman Arkham Insider, Let's Play, Dual Play, the announcement of Assassin's Creed Syndicate, Crisis, the Analog Edition, and the delay of Tom Clancy's The Division. We want to hear what you guys think about these topics and anything related to gaming or gaming culture. As usual, he is Brent Adams. I am Lauren Baumgarten. And remember, you don't stop playing because you get old. You get old because you stop playing. 